And so Jacob at this point in time has a decision to make and, and his mother and his father realize what's going on and we see first of all a sudden relocation. A sudden relocation. This we see first of all at the end of chapter 27. We see Esau's faithlessness. His faithlessness. This, this relocation in Jacob's life was brought about by family drama. By family conflict. But we also see that God was working in and through this because God had a plan for Jacob, but first God had to bring Jacob through some things and teach Jacob a few lessons along the way. But we see Esau's faithlessness at the end of chapter 27, verse 46. Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. In other words, Esau had married two women that were Canaanite women. They did not worship God. They were pagan women. And she said, If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Isaac and Rebekah were already stressed out because of Esau's poor choice in marriage partners. You already see there, plural partners. That was contrary to the will of God. This was a sinful choice. It was an unwise choice because he chose not to marry someone who was foreign. Nowhere in Scripture does God forbid interracial marriage. But what God does forbid is the uniting of two individuals who are not on the same spiritual connection. The marriage of a believer to an unbeliever, that's not God's plan. And while that does occur, and while eventually spouses can get saved, God's desire is for His people to enter into this covenant relationship of marriage with one who shares the same heart and the same passion for Jesus. We see the effects of, of Esau's choice here. It's, it's, it's further dividing the family, further conflict and infighting. His mother and his father don't approve of what he's done. And so the next thing we see in chapter 28 is Jacob's fearfulness. He had trusted God, he had trusted himself rather than God in this whole situation, and now he's about to suffer some major consequences. Verse 1, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. In other words, don't marry a woman from here. I want you to go back home to our home country, our homeland, and marry a woman there who will share your same values, your same spiritual values beliefs and it sounds like a very pious thing a very spiritual thing but here, here's, here's, the, here's the kicker you see Abraham had the same plan for Isaac his son but instead of sending his son off to a foreign country to fetch a wife he sent his servant go find a wife for my son and may God lead your pathway and God answered those prayers and brought Rebekah back for Isaac you see but because of the situation Jacob couldn't stay there anymore He'd done stirred up too much of a stink. And he was scared. He was afraid for his life. And so when mother and father said, we want you to go to another place, Jacob was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I need to get out of here. But when he left, he left with a blessing. Verse 4 and 5, it said, or verses 3, 4, and 5, it says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. These are the same blessings Abraham had received, the same blessings that had been passed to Isaac. But notice here's a new kicker here, the end of verse 3. 
that you may become a company of peoples, that you may become a, a group, a family, a nation. You see, it was God's plan that Jacob's descendants would not only be numerous, but they would be one. They would be united in their devotion to God who was the one giving these promises. In the New Testament, we see this come to pass in the form of the church. God's desire for the company of His people to be together. And that's what God had promised Jacob, that there would be a family, a, a company of peoples in unison. May He also give you the blessing of Abraham to you, your descendants with you, that you may possess the land in your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So Jacob's fearfulness, he leaves. He secured the future blessing, but he leaves empty-handed. He's promised a company of peoples that would descend from him, yet he's all alone. He has nothing but the clothes on his back and the staff in his hand. He has no dowry to give to a, a woman's father that he might marry his daughter. He's empty-handed. He's all alone. He's hopeless. Yes, he has that that birthright that he weaseled his way into. But right now, what good does that do him? He's empty. But he didn't leave completely hopeless. He left with that covenant blessing, that repeated promise to Abraham was given to him. So Jacob leaves. And then we see Esau's foolishness in verses 6 through 9. He, he compounds the problem even further. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to take a wife. And that when he had blessed him, he charged him, saying, Do not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And Esau's thinking, That's what I did. And Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and he had gone. And so Esau's like, I can't let Jacob look like the good guy in this. I've got to fix this. I've got to change this situation. Verse 8, Esau saw the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and so Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. So he's like, these women don't please my, my mom and dad. Instead of saying, well, love the one you're, love the one you're with. You know, this is classic rock Sunday, obviously. Instead of saying, love the one you're with, or love the ones you're with, uh, He's going to go out and marry another wife. Maybe this one will please mom and dad. And that's just, that's the essence of a darkened heart. Somebody who realizes, I've messed up, so I need to fix this. But they go about fixing it completely in the wrong way and just make things worse. Instead of humming themselves and saying, God, I've messed up. Help me fix this. Lord, you fix this. Esau takes matters in his own hands. Not surprisingly, that's, that's his M.O. So here is Jacob relocating. And we all know that moving is stressful. How many of y'all have ever had to move before? Most of us at some point in time. It ain't fun. <laughs> it ain't fun. There's a lot of stress, a lot of work involved. And it's just something 
Once you do it, you swear, I'm never going to do this ever again. And then sometimes we end up having to move again for various situations. But you know, experts tell us that major life changes typically leave us more receptive to God in our lives. Whether you're moving, whether you're getting a new job or have lost a job, whether you're, you're getting married or, or had a child or a death in the family or some sort of major change in your life typically will leave you more receptive to God pouring Himself into you. And we hope that's Jacob's case because up to this point we've seen nothing in his life that resembles anything searching God. But he's relocated. Then we see in verses 10 through 17 we read a while ago a strange revelation. God speaks to Jacob and he speaks to him in a very bizarre way with this dream of the ladder to heaven and the angels coming up and down. And, and what we learn from this dream, this revelation, first of all, is God's initiative with man. God did not have to come and speak to Jacob, but he chose to. He took the initiative. Jacob didn't take the initiative. He wasn't seeking God. God sought him. Jacob was in a very dark place. Literally, the sun had set. I think that was also symbolic of his spiritual condition. The sun was setting on him spiritually. He was all alone. He had his, no family, no possessions. Yeah, he had this promised blessing, but what good was that doing him right then, right there? It was dark. He was laying on the ground with a stone for a pillow. I believe that stone also symbolized the condition of his heart. Here was a man whose heart was hardened towards God. All he knew was lying, cheating, stealing to try to get what he wanted. Very dark, hard hearts. But God. God intervened in Jacob's life. When it looked like all hope was lost, when it looked like he had done made such a huge mess of his life, he would not be surprised if God said, you know what? never mind you're too much work you're too high maintenance I'm going to go choose somebody over here it wasn't God's plan God took the initiative and he spoke to Jacob in this very unusual way but God was not finished with that sinner God is not finished with the sinner God takes the initiative even when we don't seek Him, God interrupts this story to bring you this announcement. Grace. Jacob didn't deserve it. That's what made it grace. God's initiative with man. We see God's involvement with man in this. Verse 10 through 12, it says that God appeared to him and, and when the sun had set, he saw this ladder set on the earth, its top reaching to heaven. And we can't help but remind ourselves what we read about earlier in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, where mankind said, we're going to make a way to God. We're going to design our own way to heaven. We're going to come together. We're going to build this massive tower, this massive pyramid with steps on it that leads up to heaven. We're going to make this way to God. And we're going to make our, ourselves great. God came down, judged them, dispersed them, changed the languages. But then here we see Jacob, the furthest thing in his mind was trying to seek God and find a way to heaven. 
Just not on his radar. But then God comes, initiates the contact, involves himself, appears to him at his lowest moment. We read in verse 13 and following, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Undoubtedly, Jacob had heard about this God, but knew nothing of this God personally. And yet, now here is this God appearing and speaking to him. He said, The land in which you lie, I'll give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. God enters the messiness that is Jacob in his life. Jacob had just royally just messed his entire life up, turned it upside down, and God says, I'm going to put my hands on your life. I'm going to get my hands dirty, and I'm going to involve myself with you because I've got a plan for you. It's good news for us, isn't it? It's good news for us when we find ourselves dark and hardened and all alone because we have sinned against God and sinned against others, that God involves himself in messy ministry situations. God took a risk with Jacob. Then we see God's invitation to man in verse 14 at the end. He says, In you and your descendants, literally in you and your seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How do all the families receive a blessing? In the seed of Jacob. Who is the seed of Jacob? Jesus Christ. All the families of the earth can receive the blessings of God, the blessings that that were given to Abraham. We can all receive that if we come to God on His terms. God involves Himself and then gives the invitation to man, I am here for you to be your God, but you must approach me in the way that I have prescribed through the seed, the promised seed that is Jesus Christ. The invitation of God's covenant love extends to all peoples of the earth that receive this promise by humble faith and repentance. God's invitation to man is followed by God's investment in man. What does God do? God binds himself by covenant oath. God enters into this formal arrangement, this formal agreement with Jacob. Look at what he says in verse 15. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is the stuff of covenant love. God says, I don't care what you've done up to this point. I'm not done with you. I've got plans for you, plans that you can't even fathom. God says, I have you. God promises to be with him and fulfill all his promises. And you know what? God is faithful to his word. Jacob did not deserve it. Neither do you. Neither do I. God promises to invest himself in Jacob. And it's up to him to trust that promise. You know, Jesus in John chapter 1, identifies himself with this ladder in this dream. John 1.51, Jesus said, Behold, 
you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I am that initiation from God to man. I am that involvement becoming flesh and dwelling among you. I am that involvement with man. Jesus Himself is saying, I am the invitation to man. In Me all the nations will be blessed. And Jesus is that investment in man where God loves the world so much that He gave and He invested His only begotten Son so that through faith in Him we might be saved. The messiness and and the sinfulness and the darkness and the hardness of our lives, God can transform that. And He does in Christ. And Jesus is the only way. He is that ladder that was set upon the earth. Man did not build a stairway to heaven. God built the ladder that came from heaven to earth, and that ladder is Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. See, we have... Today, so many different ways we can communicate with one another. Back in the day, when you want to talk to somebody, you talk to them in person. And they say, well, I can't be there in person. I'm going to, I'm going to write a letter. And I'm going to put it in the mail. And it got to the point where, you know what, I can pick up a telephone and I can call this individual. And then technology advanced and we said, you know what, I can send them a letter, I can send them a message. I don't have to put it in the mail, I can email it. And then now we've got this thing called text messaging. You can pick up your phone. Instead of calling them, you can type them a message and send it. But you know what the most effective way of communication is? All the way back to the very first one. Looking somebody directly in the eye and having a conversation person to person. Nothing tops that. There are many different ways we can communicate. You know, there are many different ways God can speak to us. He spoke to Jacob in a dream. He can do that. God can speak to us through, through prayer, through the movement of the Spirit. God can speak to us through the counsel of other Christians. But you know, there is the one most effective way that God communicates to us, the most personal way God communicates to us through His written Word, the Bible. So no matter what dream you may have, how bizarre that may be, that's not always God talking to you. Maybe you shouldn't have ate Taco Bell at midnight. It might be God talking to you, but you don't know that for sure. The only secure, surefire way to hear a word from God is this book. Because this book is from God. This book is inspired by God. This book is about the Son of God, Jesus, the full revelation of the Father. The Bible is always trustworthy. And God revealed himself to Jacob. God has revealed himself to us. God took the initiative to speak. He is a a speaking God. He doesn't have to be. He chooses to. He revealed himself to Jacob. In Jacob's messy situation, he reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to me through his trustworthy word. Finally, we see a spiritual reaction. Jacob is moved to respond as best he can. Up to this point, Jacob has never worshipped God that we have any uh, knowledge of in the Scriptures. So he has an impromptu worship service here. He said he awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. He has enough sense to recognize God is there. And this is a place a place of consecration. 
consecration, a place set apart by God, a holy place. Verse 17, he was afraid. How awesome is this place! It's none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had under his head, symbolizing the hardness of his heart. He took that stone and he set it up as a pillar, as a symbol of that ladder he saw in the dream. Symbolized what God had done. And he poured oil on the top of it. Symbolized that it is holy, that God was at the top of the ladder. And he is making that stone, that place. He is recognizing the holiness of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. This means house of God. Well, Terry and Hillary adopted a, a cat they found here at the church, and they named it Bethel. And I said, man, how awesome is that, that in Hebrew, Bethel means house of God. And Hillary said, well, we didn't really know that. We just liked the name Bethel. You know? I'm like, well, now it has even a, a more significant meaning to you because it came from the house of God. He named that place Bethel. It was a place that was consecrated. God had appeared to him, and it was a holy place a holy memory for Jacob. And then he gives a prayer of condition. He's, he's seeking God's faithfulness to him. In verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me. And at first you read that and you're like, saying, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. And it almost seems like he is operating without faith. But notice what he's asking here. This prayer of condition, he asked for God's presence. He made a vow, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take. And he asked for God's provision and he gives me food to eat and garments to wear and God's protection. And I return to my father's house in safety and the Lord will be my God. In other words, he's saying to God, okay, God, you've already promised your presence. You've promised your provision. You've promised your protection. God, if you make do on what you have promised to do, you deserve my worship. So his prayer of condition is followed by a promise of confirmation. He says, God, if you do all that you say you're going to do, God, if I take you at your word and you are faithful to what you have promised, then you will be my God. This stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you, God. I will devote myself to you. The God who keeps His promise is worthy of our surrender. He's worthy of our commitments, our confirmation. Says, God, if you are really who you say you are, you deserve my utmost. You deserve my worship, my praise. God is worthy. And we're going to see as the story of Jacob unfolds, God is going to do a mighty work in his life, and it's not always going to be pleasant as far as Jacob's concerned. But he recognized it. I give him the credit. Up to this point, he had no recognition of God. Now he recognizes, okay, there is a God, and he's made me a promise. He's working in my life. I want to ask you, can you recognize God working in your life? Or are you so dull you can't recognize, hey, God is up to something 
And I need to be on board. I need to see what God is doing in my life. So if you recognize God working in your life like Jacob did, how should you respond? I think the response is to entrust your life to the only God who loves you. The only God who will never give up on you even though you don't deserve it. Most of us are familiar with the phrase hot pursuit. We get that from Roscoe Pico train from the Dukes of Hazard. It's in hot pursuit. And we see the, the chase and then the, inevitably the chase would fail as, as Roscoe would not have the driving skills as the Duke boys. That hot pursuit. Well, I read about a story recently about a man known as the Shawshank Fugitive. That he at one point in time was, was in prison in Ohio in, in the very prison they filmed the Shawshank Redemption in. And through a series of events, this man escaped that prison, the Ohio man named Frank Freshwaters, and he was on the lam for 56 years. 56 years. In the year 2015, he was caught in Melbourne, Florida, after 56 years of running from the feds. Now, there's two things. First of all, I think it's impressive that a person can, can run from the law and, and, and evade the law for 56 years. That's, that's amazing that that could happen. But even more impressive to me, after 56 years, law enforcement didn't quit. They didn't quit until they found their man. And I can't help but think about us running from God. You may have been running from God for five years you may be running from God for the last 50 years but the truth of the matter is this that if God is after you God will not stop God will relentlessly pursue his people the message I heard last night time and time again is the message I got from this scripture this week. You cannot outrun, you can never outrun the grace of God. God had a calling on Jacob, he had a will for Jacob, and he was going to make that happen whether Jacob liked it or not. But God loved Jacob enough to invest himself, involve himself in his life, and to transform him and make him the person God wanted him to be. The question is, what is God doing in your life and how are you responding to His relentless pursuit? Let's pray together. Lord, again, we pause to recognize Your presence. We thank You, God, that You love us in 